You're listening to Athletes the Other Side, a podcast that explores the past sportsmen and women tread when they're not competing in the sporting arena. With your host, Ben Nichols. Welcome back to Athletes the Other Side. After a month off, we're back and storming into 2021 with a new episode of this very special podcast. This is the podcast, of course, that explores the unsung sides of athletes' lives. There are many chapters away from the sporting field. And so here we are. It's the Big Ten. Episode 10, that is. I'm Ben Nichols, formerly of the World Anti-Doping Agency, Commonwealth Games Federation, Dubai Tennis Championships and more. And today in outing number 10, I'm speaking to an athlete that is the very definition of the word international. She's creative, courageous and pioneering. She first came to prominence as a World Cup and Olympic footballer, captaining her national team New Zealand and culminating her club career winning the triple with VFL Wolfsburg as UEFA Champions League, German League and German Cup winners. Since retiring in 2013, she managed Women's World Cups and strategic planning in women's football, worked as a freelance sports consultant, and she's now the global executive director of Women's Game for Copper 90, the world's largest independent football media business, where she oversees the commercial, editorial, strategic and marketing delivery of a business-wide initiative to ensure football is more inclusive of the women's game. In her role at Copper 90, my guest works with some of the world's largest brands, connecting brand values to football, and her favourite part, working with and storytelling with the world's top players. Over the years, she's built up experience in strategic planning, sponsor relations, media relations, public speaking, moderating, and strategic brand and player consulting. She sits on the board for the Isokinetic Medical Group and other private companies, Born and raised in the US and in Christchurch, New Zealand, where her parents are from, she went on to have a stellar international football career in Australia, Sweden, the US and Germany, where she picked up four languages along the way. She's a world traveller, a sports enthusiast and a human rights activist, and with a passion for people, high performance environments and living outside the comfort zone. My guest today for episode number 10 of Athletes the Other Side is Rebecca Smith. Uh, so firstly, Bex, thanks so much for joining us today for episode 10 of Athletes the Other Side. Uh, great to have you here. Um, before we hear from you, I'm also joined by my very first co-host for this series, uh, Rose Samarasinha, a sports lawyer extraordinaire. Well, first of all, Ben, thanks so much for inviting me to co-host your podcast today. Um, and I'm really excited to be chatting to the lovely Bex Smith with you, um, who is also a friend of mine as well. Um, just a bit of background about me for your listeners. As you mentioned, I'm a sports lawyer. Uh, I specialise in the negotiation of sponsorship and media rights agreements. I've worked with a number of international federations on a variety of sporting events, but I've predominantly been in-house agencies, so I have quite a lot of sales and operational experience too. I did an MBA in international sports management a few years ago, and so now I work on the business side as well as the legal side, um, and I'm currently a partner at Niche Sports Media Entertainment and Technology Law Firm Level, and I'm also a managing director of GenSport, a commercial consultancy. Fantastic. Well, all those various hats. What a stud. What a stud. Where do I go from there? Um, Bex, okay, we'll start with you. Um, first of all, thanks so much for joining joining us for this episode. It's great to be speaking to you and, and hearing from you in sunny California, it looks like. So tell us a bit about uh, what you're doing over there at the moment. Yes, I am enjoying the sunshine. <laughs> it is yeah, visiting home. I was born in LA, so just back home really for the holidays. But um, back to Rose intro. My goodness, I didn't even know like half of the stuff. Only, only like two or three of the list I was already impressed with, and now I'm just like, oh my god, I'm, I'm, am I worthy of being on the same podcast as you guys? <laughs> It's thank funny, you Bex. for having me. Hey, Bex. When I when I was reading about you, I was thinking it's so funny that we're friends, but there's so much that we don't know about each other. 
I know, right? It's a learning experience for us both. <laughs> things that happen during a COVID year where you can't actually hang out with people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's get started. I want to, obviously, this podcast series is a bit more about what, what you've done away from sport, but actually, I kind of want to go right back and, and start the kind of the early part of your life and, and growing up, um, a hugely international life and career you've had. But tell us about you know, as a Kiwi growing up in the States, what it was like, what inspirations you had and how it helped form the person you are today. Yeah, it's a, a long story. So I'll, I'll probably just pick out the bits that I, I like the best, <laughs> which is really nice for podcasts. You can just choose the best bits of yourself to present. But I, my parents are Kiwis, um, full, full-blown Kiwis, actually moving back to New Zealand in the next couple of months if they, if they can get out of this country and into New Zealand. Um, so we had a really strong Kiwi influence growing up. We spent a lot of time down there for almost every Christmas and, and our summers, their winters, learned how to ski and snowboard down there. So we had, yeah, so we, so, so we had really strong Kiwi influences, which I think was, you know, looking back has shaped my career, my um, decisions in life, both, both personally and professionally, um, in the sense that they are very adventurous. Um, my mom, we were on a hike yesterday and my mom turned to me and I said, are, I said, are you excited to go down to New Zealand or how are you feeling? She said, I'm really excited. I, you know, it's, 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 it'll be a big, big change, but she's like, I'm not afraid of change. I've never been afraid of change. Your father's never been afraid of change. And that is, I think something that's really unique. I think, um, most of us as human beings, we, we are afraid of change and the unknown. And I think having parents that are very adventurous and see change as a positive thing in life has been sort of the foundation of, I think, why I, I wear a lot of different hats and why I've been able to be exposed to so many different things. Um, so, yeah, in a nutshell, I'd say that that's probably why I think my parents are two of the most influential people in, in everything that I've done, whether indirectly or mostly indirect, directly or mostly indirectly, I would say. Yeah, sure. And, and, and in those early years, you know, you played a lot of sport, obviously you grew up a very athletic person. Tell us about that. Did you try your hand at everything or was it particular sports that stood out? What was what was happening back then? Everything. My parents put me in <laughs> ballet, jazz, tap to surfing junior lifeguards, to karate, uh, to ceramics class, to drawing class, to, you know, Spanish courses. I even remember we were driving past it like a couple of days ago, Kumon. It was like this after school uh, math tutoring thing that we used to go to. And it was only, it was only Asian um, people that were there. And I was like the only white kid in the class and just all these random things that my parents put us in to, to expose us to as many different things as possible. So, um, yeah, football was a total accident. It was never, never grew up thinking I'm going to be a professional footballer, never even really wanted to be a professional athlete. I think, um, what my parents wanted us to be was well-rounded people, um, who were exposed to lots of different things and, could be able to choose what we were most passionate about. And that topic will probably come up quite a lot um, during our conversations. Absolutely. I, I'm kind of going kind of fast tracking here, but you mentioned something there about, um, yeah, being, being kind of exposed to situations that throw you in the deep end, out of that comfort zone, all of those things, which make you try different things in life. But in, in so many ways, I guess so many people out there are risk, you know, they're risk averse. They don't like making mistakes. They're worried about, they're fearful of, of kind of taking, you know, taking wrong steps. Mm. What, what's your answer to that? Is it as simple as you need to get out there and try different things and le learn your way and make mistakes along, you know, along your journey? What, what would you say to people that are, are playing it safe, I guess? Um, I think... I think risk is an interesting word to use because I think, you know, the rhetoric that we use sort of puts us into a mind frame that affects our behavior and our decisions. So I think that everything in life, it has risk. It's just a matter of finding things that have, you know, calculating what that risk is and, and where you are in your life and where you kind of want to go to. Um, so I, I think it's, too simplistic to say get out there and just start trying everything because 
uh, yeah, you're probably going to get burned if you do that, <laughs> as we all know. Um, but I do, I do definitely think that, um, you know, my, my parents definitely have said to me, you, you should try everything in life once since then they've obviously revised that and said, you know, well, you know, LSD acid, probably you don't need that, you know, <laughs> um, but basically that's kind of how we grew up. It's like, just try everything once we, I think we've, we've traveled all over the world. And I remember, I remember we were in Morocco and we were going through, um, some of the markets and we looked over and you could see like the sheep's head and the cow brains and the, sh and the monkey whatever's. Um, and I remember then going into a restaurant and some of that was on the plates. My parents just looked at us and they're like, you know, we're going to, you're going to have to try it. Like try everything once. And you're like, Oh God. So I do think that there's, you know, I do think the, the more you can try more things, um, you, you should because you're going to find out what you like, what you don't like, what works for you, what doesn't work for you. Um, so I would hundred percent say, get out there and, and do stuff, but obviously in a calculated risk kind of way. And, and obviously life experiences will come onto this. You've, you've had many, you know, one of them was your, you know, the career you're perhaps best known for a, a career in, in professional sport, in football, soccer. Tell us about how you got into that. Um, what, you know, what the highlights were and, and what you learned as an athlete. I got into soccer, they call it here in America, um, because I wanted to go to the best college that I could. And I went to a high school that was a college prep high school and really enjoyed academics, um, really had a strong wish to start my own company, do my own thing. Didn't really know what industry or how I was going to do that, but my parents are entrepreneurs, so it was just sort of like built into me. Um, and so when I was looking at colleges, I was also playing basketball, softball, water polo, and soccer at the time, and surfing for fun, and um, got offers for scholarships or for, um, yeah, to, to go on, I um, can't remember what you call them, but to go check out the colleges, basically, for a scholarship offer for basketball, uh, water polo and uh, and soccer because I didn't really want to play softball in college and the and the and the schools that I had gotten into and then could potentially get scholarships were were Yale Duke Princeton Stanford um, uh, one more I can't remember what it was and so I went on those recru recruiting trips to those colleges and it came down to Duke and Stanford and I chose Duke because it had the combination of an incredible sports program, but obviously like well-renowned for its academic uh, academics too. And I wanted to study economics and they had one of the best economics programs um, with like current researchers and, and think tank economists. And um, so I'd done my research on that. And, and I also chose Duke because it was different because Stanford obviously also has an incredible academic and, and sports program, but it was in the South. Uh, you know, I never lived on the East coast. I wanted to experience what's the South like. Uh, so that was why I ended up going to Duke. And then it was on a, a football scholarship, a soccer scholarship, uh, ended up captaining the team, really enjoyed it. And then from there got, um, got called up to the New Zealand national team, which then was the start of my international career, my senior year of college. And just briefly on the, on the career itself in sport, what are the highlights when you look back? What are the fondest memories? And what would you say to others going, you know, going down that path as well? Um, I would say follow your passions. I would say that I think now uh, there's too many young kids that have a, a, a dream that they think that, you know, professional sports is where they want to be. But actually, it's, it's really hard. It's a really tough lifestyle um, you're constantly sort of every year reevaluating where you're going to live, what club you're going to play for. So unless you really love it, um, I would say don't don't do it, <laughs> if I'm really honest. And I would also say to balance it with other things that they're passionate about in life, because we all know that professional athletes, especially on the women's side, have a very short lived career that's shorter than most careers about mid early mid thirties when you have to retire. So to have that balance in life, to know, you know, what, what else you're passionate about in life, where else, what, what you're going to do after your sporting career comes to an end, um, I think is really important. So I would say, you know, if, if you're passionate about it, go for it, but I wouldn't put all your eggs in, in just that basket. And interestingly, I just um, did a podcast with Carly, Lloyd and Hope Solo, who are two of the most competitive, I would say two of the most competitive people on the planet, legit. And um, and Carly said, you know, I, I really regret 
the one thing I do regret is sort of not enjoying it more and not like doing other things and allowing other parts of, of life to enter into my life because I was so focused on football and that was never me. And which is why I've been able to segue into other industries and business, I think after. So that would be my sort of biggest advice. Brilliant. Right. So, Bex, I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about um, women's sport, because I think we're pretty aligned on our missions to promote and encourage women's sport and also about changing perceptions and just just getting it out there. I mean, my motivation is very much based on sharing my own personal experience um, I have a, an understanding of how sports shaped my life and career. And I want other, especially girls, to really benefit from this. Mm. But what's your motivation and what drives you on your mission to, to develop women's sport and to do the work that you do in, in, in football in particular? Mm. It's a great question. Um, and, I, and I love what you do and have been doing. So, um, yeah, excited to see what the new year brings for you as well. Um, I think for me, it's really, it's not about women and it's not about football or sports. It's for me really about, um, and this is going to sound hokey and, I, and forgive me, but I do believe that, um, yeah, in trying to make the world a better place. And I, I think that the things that I've seen through football in my career, and that is as a player and also, you know, working in the game at, at the top level of governance and, and for example, hosting an under 17 girls tournament in Jordan in the middle of the Middle East and seeing sort of how that opened up dialogue, conversations, different types of stories and allowed women and young girls in particular to be seen in a totally different way that was more inclusive, that was more diverse, um, not just for Jordan, but the whole of the Middle East. I think that power of football is absolutely incredible. And that was what kept me in football after I left um, FIFA was how do we get these stories out there that are not just about like improving the lives of girls, but I think improving the lives of boys and men as well, because I, I genuinely think that if we live in a world that is more inclusive and diverse and celebratory for everybody, um, then we're all going to be better as a human race. And that's why I use, I try to use um, women's sports, women's soccer, female footballers, as a tool or let's say a vehicle to open those doors and, and start those conversations to shift perception, um, which I hope, <laughs> which I believe um, will shift us all forward as a, as a human race. No, I mean, I, lo I love that when you say we're trying to make the world a better place, because I mean, we've, we've talked quite a lot about governance mm -hmm. and uh, our feelings about how we want to make change and yeah. um, and perhaps also doing things in a different way. But I completely agree with you. I mean, it's um, sport does so much more than than it's so much more than just an entertainment. Uh, you know, it's it's the the social issues that it addresses. You know, you talked about different countries, but even back home in in the US for you and in, in the UK, um, the things that that sport can do and and just the health manifesto, all of these elements. Yeah. Um, it's really, really powerful. And I, I think you're right. Getting It's getting stories out there however we can. Um, but certainly trying to attract those groups that are perhaps more minorities in, yeah. in, in what we're doing. Yeah, it's a really good point, Ro, because it, like I said, it's not about women in particular. I think women is the, it, that's what I know best because that's what I come from. So that that's where I feel like I have the most credibility to be able to talk authentically um, credibly and really be able to influence and shift using women's, but you're right. It's, you know, what, what's going on with black lives matter is not a new issue in this country. And I went to Duke and I saw, you know, segregation for four years when I was in college and it was, it just blew my mind that it's still, you know, the racism there was so strong. Um, and so I think that you're right. If you can open doors for, for women, that means that there's more doors that open for blacks, for different people that look different from those stories that are the ones that we typically see in media and storytelling. So you're right. It, it, it isn't just about women. Yeah. And I mean, and it's also the, the first step, you know, I think, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about diversity issues and certainly the women, the women's conversation has been a lot more talked about and we've been talking about that for a few years and it's, it's, it's quite accepted now. And yeah. hopefully that same element will happen to the, the sort of the minorities the black lives matter movement but but all minorities really um but then also there are other groups as well you know diversity isn't just taking 
one group at a time and addressing it actually it's how do we we make it accessible for everyone um at, at the same time as quickly as possible yeah um, but no I, I love that and hopefully we can just say sports soon and not women's sport and men's sport yeah I know, I know. <laughs> when i went to germany when i moved there it was my first professional contract they have uh, they don't call uh, the women's game foosball they call it frauen foosball so they they said to, women's football frauen is women so they said to me they were like so do you play frauen foosball do you play women's football and i was like no i play football like it was so bizarre that it was like it was named something completely different and you couldn't call it foosball because foosball was only for men. It's just, it was so clearly delineated. And I find that's again, you know, back to Ben's first question that the rhetoric that we use, the, the words that we choose, the way that we tell stories, it all influences how we perceive different things. Um, and, and definitely at least in Germany, it was a completely different sport, which I found bizarre. Would, um, just on that point, you mentioned the kind of cultural differences, which obviously, you know, they are different all across the world. I guess, you know, if you take football or soccer, my kind of um, basic impression of it is in North America, it's be, it's much more instilled in the culture and it has been for a long time that women and men play play soccer than it is in somewhere like the UK where it's just, you know, culturally ingrained as a kind of pastime. And I guess it's just it's just evolved differently those barriers perhaps are starting to shift in the uk i guess you know finally but but it but it's way behind the us where it's just more, much more accepted and, and perhaps the women's team i don't have the stats but they've been equally if not more successful than the men's team over yeah. the years at world cup so that all helps but what's your you've obviously had that you know views from both sides sides of the pond what's your what's your take on that i think you know one more point example i think you know we're starting to see newspapers and things um you know in the uk address women's sport a bit better you know the yeah. telegraph of all newspapers which is a pretty conservative newspaper has actually got a women's sport section so things yeah. are starting to happen what's your uh, what's your view on how quickly that's happening and also how that how that translates across the pond yeah it's a it's a great question and you're right the, the women's u.s women's national team is much more successful on paper uh than than the men's team um, best example is the men didn't qualify for 2018 Men's World Cup and the women obviously won 2019. So, yeah, you're right about that. Um, I think for me it's about uh, two things. It's about systems and people. And if you look at in the U.S., the reason why I believe there's more equality in women's sports, why, you know, when Serena Williams or Naomi Osaka are out, you know, championing um, some of the most incredible cultural moments uh, in the history of sports. Um, it's it's very well accepted, and, and people don't look at um, you know female athletes as as lesser than the male athletes as much. Let's say, I mean, it's still it still needs there still needs to be growth in that as well. But I just I think that female um, athletes are better accepted, more well supported. And the reason for that, I would bring back to, uh, I think it was 1971, 72, they brought in Title IX, which meant that in the university systems, you needed to invest equally in men's and women's programs, which obviously included sports. So the shift that had to happen was you had a team of football, like gridiron football, I'm talking about like NFL, um, with over a hundred male scholarships and most of the time they get full scholarships. They then had to have equally at least a hundred female um, sports athletes scholarships. And so what that did is it opened up a lot more opportunity for female athletes for sports that never existed before for women, um, you know, traditionally only could do volleyball or field hockey on the East coast, or, you know, you had football, you had things like water polo come into to sports and so female athletes had e exact equal opportunity and what that meant in this country in particular was for example if i'm a parent and i have a child that child whether it's a male or a female has exactly the equal exact equal opportunity to get a full scholarship or part or partial scholarship um i.e university paid for and university in this country is massive so you know the percentage of of success successful business people who haven't gone to college is probably i don't know what that stat is it was probably 0.5 percent so in other words everybody goes to college here 
Um, it's really important and it's, it's part of the culture of, of, of America, I would say. So having the acceptance of an equal, equal system financially for male and female at that level, it, it sends, it sent reverberations, um, throughout, you know, all of social, cultural, uh, ways of looking at, at gender in this country. And I think that that has a knock on effect so that, you know, female athletes. I mean, if you look at the American gold medals or medals in the Olympics, there's so many female athletes. Whereas in a lot of countries where you have social cultural barriers for women, you just don't see as many female athletes winning medals because they're not supported in the in the same way that they are in, in America. So in in the UK, on the on the opposite side, as you mentioned. Um, the antithesis of that Title IX is something that happened in the UK was that they banned women's football for 50 years. So a system that had females playing with, you know, to crowds of around 50,000, you know, recorded um, in stadia, having to be banned and not be able to play for 50 years. So they're making up for all that lost time of actually a systematic or a systemic issue um, of discrimination against women's uh, sports. And so when you look at what the systems have built, it's no wonder that when people, you know, when you, when you post something on social media in the UK, you, you still hear comments like, go back to the kitchen. And I'm just like, what? How is it possible that in one of the, like, most furthest developed countries on the planet that you still have, like, such incredibly, like, terrible cultural and social barriers for women it's just it blows my mind really but it doesn't it doesn't in the sense that that's what the systems have built so i think it, yeah and also you have on the back of that the second part was just the people that you have to have inspiring role models like billy jean king um who fought for the rights of, of female tennis players um and got equal pay for tennis female tennis players no wonder that naomi osaka and and um Serena Williams are the two highest paid athletes on the planet, not, not male, not female, just on the planet. Um, so I, I think it's, it's a combination of systems, but people that are role models and, and willing to fight for those changes. Yeah. It's really interesting you talking about Title IX, Bex, because, I mean, I went to a school that was quite famous for sport in the UK, and there was never a distinction between girls and boys. Um, you know, yeah, there were certain sports that the girls played and the boys played, but I mean, I, I ran track, so for me yeah. it was exactly the same. And then working in athletics, um, in volleyball and swimming and all those, and a lot of these big Olympic sports where actually there is no distinction. Yeah. Um, for a long time, I really wasn't exposed to such a big, it's only really football and, you know, maybe some of the, you know, football, rugby, cricket. There's, there's, a, there's, there's a handful of those sports where it's really pronounced. They are also the biggest sports. Um, yeah. But actually there are so many sports where it's, where it really is equal. And I do wonder it's, if it is something that actually, you know, going back to the whole schooling system and having that instilled in you from that age, whether it's just actually like, well, yeah, girls play sport in the same way that boys play sport so you just don't even think about it differently whereas in England generally it's not quite like that I mean wrote when I got to the UK and someone told me that girls are not allowed to play football in school meaning they don't have teams boys play football boys are taken to go play football and girls do netball and boys alternatively boys are not allowed to play netball I was like what it absolutely blew my mind that there were gender distinctions in sports. I just, I think it's absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely and it, ridiculous. And it creates these stereotypes because I still, I mean, I mean, I played a lot of netball and I loved playing mixed netball. It was a bit scary at times, yeah. but, um, <laughs> but you know, so many guys would, I mean, this was, you know, we're talking 20 years ago, but so many guys would, would be like, well, I don't know about playing netball because of the, yeah. the association with that because what yeah. people will say and it's and it's so ridiculous because it's a really great fast sport why is it any different to a lot of the other sports we play it's just because girls play it at school yeah <laughs> there's uh the, the, there's an in, well there's kind of um an interesting one i don't know if you followed it the commonwealth games um who are doing quite a lot in this area which is you know a lot of people see it as a pretty antiquated sporting event but actually it's shifting its whole focus and trying to surprise people and actually being a lot more progressive i guess than the olympics you know it's got 
I think equal number of medals for Birmingham 2022. It's got, um, they've got, you know, a certain number of a certain percentage of referees to be male and female in traditionally male and female sports. It's they're kind of, you know, upsetting the cart and surprising people along the way. And it was really interesting, you know, for instance, at Gold Coast for the last games, they had, um, you know, they had um, in netball, they had a certain percentage of male referees, which was kind of, again, trying to, I guess, to change those perceptions. So these things, I guess, are happening to an extent, or at least the conversations are happening. Yeah, that's cool. I didn't know that. That's really interesting. Yeah, um, I think we could talk. I was about to say, I think we could talk about this for hours, yeah. <laughs> but um, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it back to you, Bex, a bit, um, and just talking about when you trans- transitioned out of pro sport. Obviously, you had a number of degrees behind you and spoke all these languages that I just found out about today. Um, <laughs> but um, you had a number of roles, first with FIFA and then and then your own production company. But um, could we just talk a little bit about Cope Ninety and sort of what made you want to join? Um, and then also maybe you can talk, tell us a little bit more about the organization and its aims and, and what actually you've been doing there. Yeah. Um, I got introduced to Copa 90 from Aggie, Abby, Abby, Abby Wambach, who was yeah at the time the number one international goal scorer across men or women in all of football. Um, and she was a friend of mine since 2007, I think. And through my production company, or it's a joint production company with my sister and um, some of her friends, actually, who happen to be really kick-ass people in in the film and TV and production industry, um, we were trying to do a project with her uh, and get her story out because it's fascinating. Um, And uh, she introduced me to Tom Thurwall, who's the CEO of COVID-90, because he had approached her um, proactively saying that he wanted his company and the platform to be more inclusive and more diverse um, because it was a 91% male audience. Um, most of their content was men's football. And he admitted that they just didn't know enough about the women's game to properly get into it. And so, and, and that, you know, that's like the first barrier that I, I think um, women's sports faces is that people who are in decision-making positions often don't have the humility and the, like, quite frankly, intelligence just to be able to admit that there's a gap and there's a hole. Um, and so I, I personally really appreciated that, in it, and I still do, in Tom's character as who he is as a person. Um, and it's, it wasn't just him, obviously, it was the, you know, the management team behind him as well. But to, to recognize that there was an issue and they wanted to readdress that um, inequality. And so... Um, I met with them. I was living in London anyway at the time for about eight months or, yeah, a few, a few, you know, back and forth from Switzerland and for lots of different reasons and was working on a few consulting projects. And um, and he brought me in and said, can you, you know, this is what we're trying to do. Can you help us? And I said, well, yeah, we can start. Maybe I'll, I'll look at your company. I'll look at the company, see what's going on and, and see if I can actually help. So I started consulting with them and then he brought me in like, probably a couple weeks, three weeks later, he kind of made me an offer. Um, and since then I was working with them to sort of help build their women's football side of, of, of the game and come up with a proposition of why are we doing this? What is our belief in football? You know, where do we sit in the overall scheme of things? And that was really cool to work with the, the strategy team and Ross, who was the COO, who still is the COO, um, to come up with sort of a proposition that fit for Copa 90, which was very, you know, laddie and lots of men's football and, you know, but has always been celebratory and inclusive as um, a storytelling platform to then sort of take that focus and just shift it a little bit and say, okay, but how do we do this, you know, in in a credible way with women's game? So, that's been um, a really interesting journey with those guys. And, and during the World Cup, we had two clubhouses in France. They invested really heavily in um, our presence uh, over the Women's World Cup, um, worked with different brands like Avisa, Puma, PayPal, um, to help them do their storytelling, but then also created our own sort of hub to get more fans involved and interested in the women's game, whether it was through, you know, we, did a, we had a fashion show, or we had a film festival, or... We, we showed all the games. So whether you, you just like the, the jerseys or, you know, you, you were into film or you actually like the football or you just kind of wanted to come and hang out and drink beer. Like it's just, we just wanted it to be a really inclusive um, type vibe. And so off the back of that, 
Um, we, we also launched a podcast during that time. And then off the back of that, um, we've now launched a new podcast called the players podcast, which, um, I get to host, which has been a lot of fun. Um, but that was, you know, from the vision of, uh, sort of us the, the, and the management team figuring out how we wanted to, to really make shifts in, in, in the women's game, in football, I would say more than just women's football. Short, 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 semi-short answer, but <laughs> there's a lot more to it. But um, that's probably the highlight. Yeah. I I was going to come on to um, some of the other hats you wear, like row many hats, which is which is fantastic. I guess podcast being one of them. Um, tell us a little bit about um, you know what it means to you to, to to be involved in the podcast, and also kind of how you see you know, as a fellow podcaster, how you see the industry going, because a lot of people listening to them, maybe COVID has helped that, or maybe some some say actually it hasn't because people listen in their cars and they're not commuting as much this year. So, but a lot of people are kind of, it's almost like an antidote. I see it as a medium, um, kind of an antidote to, you know, the, the 140 characters we see on social media. It's long, it's pensive, it's thoughtful, it's yeah. educated, hopefully. It's, you know, it's all those things which we, <laughs> which we, which we like and we miss from the social media age. So tell us your views on podcasting, and 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 how much enjoyment you've got out of it as well yeah um i think the podcast that we launched during the women's world cup called inside out which you can you can still listen to actually was was brilliant actually and i i don't normally to our own my own horn but that the team that we had that built that was really cool we had ellie menjum who did like a whole look back in a history of all of the teams in the women's world cup and i mean i learned a lot through the podcast actually and i think that was you know to your point um podcasts can be educational and i think they're educational in a different sense of the word so i'm like a big believer that the educational systems that we have nowadays are so outdated um and are in fact detrimental to the development of our youth and our cultures and our future um, as, you know, as a race, as a, as a human race, I think that the educational systems need to open up and, and be more tailored to how people actually learn. And, and I think podcast is one um, great medium that we can educate. And when I say educate, I mean that in like a very, very broad sense. Um, I think, you know, like my sister and I are very, very different. So academically, for me, it was really easy to sit in the classroom and regurgitate and, and learn and consume and write and read. And she was very, very visual, um, you know, had ADD, still has ADD, <laughs> um, but visually is, is incredible. So now she's gone on to be a cinematographer director, like really doing really, really well here in, in, in Hollywood and on TV shows and and movies and stuff and being a DP as a, as a young woman is, is pretty incredible. But that was because we got her into a different sort of educational process than the one that benefited me. And I think, Pog, sorry to go off on a really random tangent here, but, but for me, I think podcasts are, are really like a great way that you can, you can transfer messages and education um, in a, in a different way that sort of suits people in that, in that sense, whether it's audio or sort of filmed podcasts, um, things like that. So I've loved it. And, you know, just, just coming back to like a more simplistic way of looking at our podcast, it's just really fun to sit and chat with players, you know, and ex players, because, you know, that, that's what I used to do all the time as a player, 11 years, all you did was sit and chat. And, and I think that if people had better insight into what's going on for players around players on the pitch, off the pitch, um, you can't really help but fall in love with the sport because they are some of the best role models, people, storytellers, I think on the planet, not just, you know, footballers on the pitch. So, but obviously I'm very biased. I think it's I think it's really interesting you I mean you know we've talked a lot about unique content and sort of the way sponsorship entertainment sort of how how we can bring sports to the sort of the, the younger generations is is sort of telling the stories about people and and also just showing them what happens behind the scenes and I think like you say the, the the discussions i mean i've listened to a few of your episodes i mean I, i'm the odd one out on this call i don't have my own podcast you know it's but um but no having having listened to it it's it's you know it's going actually and even and even like it bends you, you give something that 
people people put on the televisions and watch sport or they go to the stadium and they see it but they don't have a clue what happens behind it half the time and you know or if even if you've played sport at school and even if you've played it to a relatively high level in terms of sort of junior levels you still don't really understand the hours that go into it sort of the the downtime actually there's a lot of just sitting around not doing much um and recovering and and just all of those other elements, things, I think it's really interesting. And now with this new medium, it's not just an Instagram snapshot of that or a two minute piece of content, which is also useful in spreading the message. Yeah. But it's actually more of a, a deep dive and sort of really telling people the reality of what it is being an yeah. athlete or a player, which, you know, it isn't easy. Like like you say, it's yeah. you've got to really love it and really yeah. understand that it's, you know, you're giving your life to it. So it's a really good opportunity to do that. I agree. And one of, one of the things that I think I'm, I've always been interested in, obviously, is education, you know, as per my rant earlier. But um, one of the things that I think that athletes have is transferable skills into the business world. And this is relevant for, for Ben, for your podcast, obviously, but you know, the, the resilience that we have at trying to be on the top at the absolute sort of like you're in the top 1% of, um, people that are doing your skill on the planet, but to, to be able to stay there over time, um, you need incredible, an incredible skill set and behavioral skill set of resilience, of goal setting, of, um, you know, motivation, of mindset, and all of those things, I think, are skills and tools that you can actually teach um, and transfer into business. And I think that is, for me, the most interesting part of the player stuff. So we don't we don't get into as much of it as I would love to uh, in the players podcast that we do now because it's a little bit light. It's fun. There's lots of fun stories about like chest bumping Megan Rapinoe and breaking her sunglasses, which is obviously really fun. But but yeah, I, I think that sort of transferable skills into business is where I'm kind of most interested in in the discussions that I have with with players nowadays and and sort of an educational program that I've built as well that I'm you know delivering in different universities or with C-suite managers or students or wh- whoever really. Um, so yeah, it's really interesting. Great. Without um, kind of wanting this to be a podcast about podcasting uh, i just want to kind of dive into a, a topic because it, it's come up um as i've spoken to some guests i spoke to christian taylor recently and um for World of athletics and he had a fantastic discussion with him about um about, about this and kind of the you know the social media age and all its problems and we were having a bit of a rant about it but anyway podcasting it seems to me and i, I touched on it it seems to be a bit of an antidote because it's long form it's considered you're 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 you know you're hear all about people the good the bad the the gray areas which again it seems you know so far away from the kind of tabloid headline writing yeah. culture we we you know people get kind of consumed by and believe in so um i guess my sort of question is you know it seems we have a really unforgiving culture these days because people believe the social media believe the headlines and just you know there's a lot of vitriol online if you follow that world um one option is just to ignore a lot of it, but it's very difficult because it's all consuming. Do you think podcasting and that kind of content, which is more considered, which allows you to sort of digest a, you know, a more holistic human being's life, is that the way things are going to go? Or do you think media content is going to become more and more attention grabbing, short form headline grabbing that, that kind of stuff we've seen in recent years? Do you, do you have a view on that? It's a great question, man. And you're talking about, um, Chris, Chris Taylor is the goat, right? Yeah, the goat. There we go. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Okay, gotcha. Um, I think it's a great question. And having been in the media business now, not for not very many years, but to see how it has shifted so much just within the sort of three years that I've been involved in it, has been fascinating. So the the rise and the sort of overtaking of everything else of, of social media um, and and you know Copa ninety is only social media. It's only on the YouTube, the Instagram, the Twitter, the Snapchat, TikTok platforms. Um, and to have a whole business that is just based off of those is absolutely fascinating. Um, what I what I don't think is going to happen, you know, everybody says print is going to die completely, but you know, I, I still read books. Um, and 
I think a lot of people still read books. I think that we started out with radio. Uh, the television came in. Everyone said radio is going to die. Radio, you know, sim tapered a bit and probably did die a little bit. But now we've come back and had sort of a rebirth of what I would call sort of a second version or another version of, of radio, right? So I, I just think that we, as humans, we're all very different and going back to the education, everybody learns differently. Everybody has different preferences. So some people really like the social media short clips. Um, but what I think is happening is some people or the, we try to predict and say, well, that's going to die. We're, we're very extreme, right? That's going to die. And that's going to take over the world. But actually an example of that is when people said social media is here. Well, now we've, we're seeing that attention spans are only four seconds. So if your clips are longer than four seconds, and you haven't captured them. They're going to die. Well, we saw at Copa 90 when we did um, our uh, Derby days, the one, especially the one from, from South America, that was such an incredible Derby days. It was an hour long piece of content on YouTube and we had a retention rate that was ridiculously high. So I think good content is good content. It doesn't matter if you consume it on a podcast or on radio or TV or social media. If it's good and quality, then I think that people will follow and consume on all of the different ways that we can follow and consume. So I don't, I don't believe that, you know, one type of the industry is going to die out and the other is going to take over. I just think that it becomes more and more um, diverse every single day and how it's consumed is, is constantly changing. Uh, and that's the part that I just find like fascinating to try to keep up with. Yeah, it's, it's... <laughs> I have enjoyed the, the podcast. Sorry, Ben. Yeah, I have, I've really yeah, enjoyed it. No. I was going to say, it's really tough to keep up with it. It's changing at the rate of, you know, by the day. So, um, Ro, anything else from you? And I'll go on to a final topic. No, no, no. Go for it. Cool. So I guess one thing that sort of shines shines through um, Bex is, you know, you very much the entrepreneur, modern entrepreneur, you know, having having worked in different industries, you've, you know, clearly got a really can-do positive attitude. Um, what, in a nutshell, what do you think is next? What's the next... Uh, five, 10 years old, do you think? Yeah, I started my own business uh, about three months ago. Um, so I'm still working with the Copa guys, um, but I've taken on a couple other clients and just looking to build that out, which has been a lot of fun. I've, I think for me, it's been really good to be involved in lots of different industries, um, you know, whether Sorry, my my parents and have like grandfather clocks, <laughs> like multiple grandfather clocks. Because I'm sure you've been hearing the entire time with the ticking. Uh, I forget, I forget, because like we grew up with these grandfather clocks. So <laughs> they're still there. <laughs> I'll tell you what time it is in a second. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So what? I don't even know what I was talking about. Um, oh, entrepreneur. Cool. Right. The next thing. Um, spending more time with my family, hopefully <laughs> is one. And secondly, yeah, I just, I, I've really enjoyed learning different industries so that I feel like I have, um, a more holistic view of how to run a business. So it doesn't matter sort of what industry you're in, um, understanding the media, the marketing side, the legal side, even, um, you know, like I said, Ro and I are good friends. So that that's been interesting learning, you know, from, from someone like her, um, the media side, obviously the sports side, I kind of had and governance. So I think, you know, that has enabled me to be able to feel more confident now to be able to launch something that I can call my own, but also be able to build with people that I think, you know, kind of are kick-ass rock stars in their own, um, in their own right as well. So yeah, I'm looking to build out that business, um, and hopefully travel more when things open up um spend time with my fam and probably yeah do more podcasts like these ones ben <laughs> just on stuff. um just on the point of con your consultancy i think i kind of you know, obviously i'm i'm in a similar place to you having just gone out a little bit ahead of you um like a year or so but i think i almost feel like we are entering the age of the consultant and even before covid sort of just that flexibility to to really do the projects that you really want to do i mean i think you know when you're working in an organization you're really at the behest of their goals and ideals and we've talked a lot about um 
sort of the, the real the meaning behind what we do and why we want to do it and actually the, the great thing about the age of the consultant and why you know we, we joke about how much it, you know all of us do um but it's because it's it really gives you the opportunity to sort of pursue what you love and, and what you feel strongly about um while doing still the things that you're really good at mm. alongside it definitely and it is like I think that's why I left FIFA in the end was because it just didn't have the same values as I did. You know, you, you think you, you can go to a place where you can make the biggest change must be at the very top of the game, but then you, you start to peek under the covers and you see what's really going on. And you realize like, these are not my people. These are not the values that I have, but, but that sort of solidified the values that I do have. And I think it's really hard to find another business. Well, at least for me, because I have like quite strong values that really can incorporate all of the things that I want to accomplish. Um, and then I feel like I'm giving everything that I possibly have, um, you know, unless I'm now I've got to the point where it's like, I just, I need to do all the things that I want to do and, and utilize all the skills that I have, because I've accumulated, like you said, so many from different parts of, of business that now I want to sort of pull it all together. And, and a big part of my business moving forward is going to be bit better support to players. Um, because that's, that's what I know. And, and I, I do think that, you know, if we can do that, there's some of the best human beings out there right now um, with some of the best values and, and best skill sets that, you know, if, if we can give them better support, then I think we can sort of build a team that can help change the world. <laughs> <laughs> I just just provided the segue to a second podcast so thanks for accepting the invitation for coming on again um <laughs> that's a whole other topic athlete support should be good to chat to you about um yes. maybe in 2021 bex thanks so much for joining and just before we let you go uh, one one section we always have on this podcast it's called the yeah. other side which is six quick fire questions uh, a little bit more on the lighter side of your life so that is coming up next You're listening to Athletes The Other Side. Uh, welcome back. Uh, Bex, we've got six quick, quick fire questions, as I mentioned, for you. Uh, so starting off with number one, here goes. What's your favourite sporting moment of all time? Scoring a goal in the London, London 2012 Olympics uh, and then being able to turn to the crowd and see my family there. Amazing. Ro, were you there for that? Were you in the crowd? I I, um, oh, I wasn't. Sorry. Sorry, Bex. <laughs> I'm really sorry. <laughs> but I love that your favourite sporting moment was your own one. That's just brilliant. It's yeah, yeah exactly. Oh, sorry. I think I no, probably I love it. It's absolutely <laughs> that should be. It should be the way it is. That is an amazing moment. Yeah. Definitely. All right. Number two, uh, your favorite other side or non-sporting moment from life? Um, probably either graduating from my MBA with my master business, because that was a year and a half of like grueling studying, reading, training two times a day and then driving to the the college and then coming home training and then like falling asleep with books on my chest um for about a year and a half so i was really quite proud that i stuck it out and um, i'm so glad i did so that that's probably that one or or uh, um when i was uh organizing the women's world cup in 2015 in canada and standing on the on pitch side so no longer on the pitch uh, watching the final and, and sort of looking around at a crowd of, you know, over 50,000 people re realizing that I had sort of pulled together uh, or been a big part of a team that had pulled together a, a tournament that was massively successful um, from the other side of the white line. Amazing. Well, uh, changing tack a bit. What book are you currently reading? You mentioned you like books. Oh my God, I love books. The problem is, is like they just keep piling up lately because I don't have time to read them. I keep buying them. Um, I'm, I'm actually reading three books. I brought all three of them home because I, I sort of pick up and put down uh, depending on the mood I'm in. But I have Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself by Dr. Joe Dispenza. He's absolutely fantastic. So he uses physics, quantum physics, to explain how we can change our behaviors and who we are. Unbelievable. Mind-blowing. Another one is Sapiens. Uh, Yuval Noah Harari, incredible. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. You've read it? I've seen that around. Yeah. 
I mean, every page is just like, what? And then um, another one that I found last year that I'm still in the middle of is How to Find a Black Cat in a Dark Room by Jacob Burak. Uh, I mean, he's just, he's like, he's like one of us. He, you know, was born in Israel, uh, was in the Israeli army, then the naval officer, then eventual capital, capital pioneer, did management consulting, and now he's like writing books. So he's just like, he uses psychology for, uh, psychology and business, the combination of the two, which is, I guess, my my sweet spot as well. So, yeah, that's a good one. And, and Ro, have you read any of those books? Are you reading something um, different? No, I've heard of, I've he- actually, yeah, Breaking the Habit is actually on my list of things to yes. read. I'm, I'm reading one called The Choice at the moment by Edith Eager, which is brilliant. Um, and uh, very, if you like psychology, you're going to love yeah. that, Bex. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, so- it's written down already. Thank you. <laughs> Gonna have have to share the sports book I've just read with you, which is uh, uh, it's the Rachenkov affair about the Russian doping scandal. Oh, I've heard yes. about that book. Yeah. We'll have to have another discussion about that. <laughs> <laughs> we start book club, guys. <laughs> oh, we, do, we do a book club, like off the table. Yeah. <laughs> uh, question four: One surprising fact people might not know about you. Yeah, that that's a hard one. I would say, I think, you know what? It, it a simple answer to that is it depends on where the person has met me because if they've met me and see me as a footballer, they probably don't know that I have like a postgrad in psychology um, and I'm super into that. Or if they know me as a footballer, they probably don't know that I actually just wanted to be a surfer rather than a footballer. Or you know, if they met me at FIFA, they probably think and they know me as a player, they probably think I'm probably not that intelligent because the I think the the um what would you say the perception of footballers at fifa was that they're not very bright um they uh, they obviously didn't know very many female footballers or or the right male footballers because it's it's absolute false uh perception so yeah i'd say it depends on like where they've met me uh just not knowing that i wear like a thousand different hats and <laughs> which lifetime um <laughs> okay penultimate question uh best piece of advice you've ever received or given uh my parents like in their own way the golden rule sort of treat other people as you want to be treated i think just be kind (laughs) it's so underrated but um i think that's that's something i've always tried to live by and another one was one i learned in germany it's man sieht sich immer zweimal im leben which means you always see people two times in life which my interpretation of that is don't be an asshole. <laughs> yeah. If you see people on your way up, you're going to see them on your way down and vice versa. And yeah. it's just, you know, be as, be as, as good a human as you possibly can. Um, I mean, we should all like learn a little bit more humility. Right. And I guess all of these are sort of related to the one thing that my parents always said to me, which is just follow your passion. Yeah. Okay, last last question. A uh, bit of a cliche, but your top three dinner party guests. I think I'm biased right now because I haven't seen my parents and my family in like an entire year. But I would literally say my mom, my dad, and my sister, who is now married to her wife for three years, so they're kind of like one person. So I'm <laughs> I'm I'm kind of cheating there, but I would literally the 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 three and a half of them are my favorite people on the planet. Um, but if I'm going to answer like a conventional answer, I'd say Ruth Bader Ginsburg is a mind blowing person. Everything that she's done to shift, uh, systems and policies for women, but the human race I think is incredible and how she's done it, um, in a way that sort of has inspired others. Um, is incredible. And then I met, um, the guy that one of the, one person who's changed my life dramatically was Dr. Kerry Evans. He's a, a psychiatrist, psychologist who worked with our team in 2010, 2011. And he went on to work with the all blacks and all kinds of formula one and yeah, uh, managers, people that own a lot of stuff on this planet. Um, and he just, how he helped, um, with you explain sort of how powerful the mind is i thought was fascinating which was the reason why i went and got my postgrad in psychology um and if i had ruth bader ginsburg at the table and dr carrie evans i'd probably have my dad there because he's just an incredible human being 
Nice. I've just started listening to a guy called Dr. Peter Crone, who I think is from LA as well, who you might not have heard of, but you need to look it up. It's fascinating. He's called The Mind Architect, which is quite a nice catchy title. <laughs> and this is a this is a podcast or yeah, well, he does. He does have a podcast, uh, or he's or he features on podcasts a lot. Um, but he has a very kind of simple but unique take on yeah the human mind and how to tackle life. Cool, that sounds great. Cool, guys, good suggestions. Brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Bex, thanks so much. Ro, what a pleasure. Thank you for having me, co-host. And Bex, we'll it's lovely to have a chat across the yeah. waters. <laughs> you were great. You got you were a great co-host, and then obviously you're a great host. So thank you guys so much for having me. Oh, thank you. No, it's a lot of fun. All right. Have a good one, guys. Enjoy. Have a lovely Christmas. Thanks, If you've enjoyed this first episode of 2021 and want to see what else is to come, then don't forget to subscribe, which you can do at Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts. Whilst you're there, leave us a review and don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at AthletesTOS. And so in the meantime, keep well this year, keep listening and goodbye for now.